We are continuing this series on uh, Jesus Said What? Let's hear that. Jesus Said What? See, you guys know that. And uh, today we're talking about Do Not Judge. Wow. You know, that's always a fun topic. And uh, sometimes the world uses that in a wrong way against us. And sometimes, how many of you know, sometimes you can take, feel conviction and you think that somebody's judging you. And that's just the Holy Spirit bringing conviction on your life. But, but judgment is a real thing. Let me tell you, in, in our world today, there's a lot of people that uh, they have this idea that they can't come to church because they don't feel like they're good enough. Oh, I'm not good enough. I can't go in there. The, like, like, uh, like God will never forgive me because I've done too much to be forgiven. Anybody ever feel that way? I just did too much. There's no way that God can forgive me. So, so there's that group of people that kind of have that idea. But then there's another pe- group of people, they won't come because they say, you know what, I know God will forgive me, but those church people, those church people would never forgive me. They would look down on me. They would have this idea. And, and I find that really interesting, probably several reasons for that. And I want to I address both of them. But the first one... Uh, of people feeling not good enough, that, that, that God would never forgive them, I believe that's because all of us have battled at least one, uh, now. Some of you guys may still be battling having a guilty conscience. How many of you know that's a real deal? Right? I did it. I know that I did it. And will God forgive me? So we carry around that. And, and even though some understand that God forgave their sin, they don't really understand the fact of what he did for our guilt that he carried that as well. And here's why the enemy wants to keep you walking around with a guilty conscience. It says in uh, 1 John uh, 3.21, Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, right, you're not carrying around that guilty conscience. It says that we can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. How many of you see why the enemy would want you to keep walking around with a guilty conscience? He doesn't want you to walk into God's presence with any kind of boldness. He wants you to, if you come in like, oh God, I'm just a worm. Lord, I don't know if you'll ever forgive me. Oh, forgive me. And you spend your entire time forgiving. And Jesus is like, like dude, I already forgave you. Right? Or do that. Whatever, whichever one applies, right? Uh, and, but we walk out and we're just trying to obtain some kind of forgiveness. He already did it. And uh, if you've already confessed it, what does it say in 1 John? If you confess, he's uh, faithful and just and will forgive you. So you don't have to battle God to try to obtain some forgiveness. That's because you're carrying around your guilty conscience. And here's the thing. The reason we battle a guilty conscience, you guys know what it is? Because we are guilty. We did it, right? Let me just, let's just admit it. When the enemy wants to come throw something in your face and is like, oh, you failed here and you failed there, most of the time we struggle battling that because he's right. We did do it. We did fall. As a matter of fact, Scripture says that we have all fallen short of God's standard. So we literally do walk around. We are all guilty, but I don't think we understand exactly what Jesus did on the cross for us. Like I said, he didn't just come to pay for our sin. He paid to remove that guilt from us. Look at what the scripture says in Hebrews. Since we have a great high priest, talking about Jesus, who rules over God's house, let us go, there it is again, right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. For our guilty conscience have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. Amen? And our bodies have been washed with pure water. If you will grasp, understand what it is that Christ did on that cross, that I don't have to walk around in guilt that I don't have to walk around in condemnation, then you can walk around in the freedom and you can boldly go into God's presence. Amen? So if you come into God's presence and you're struggling like, oh, oh, just remind, wait a minute, my conscience has been clean. It's been sprinkled with the blood of Christ. Do you realize that the blood of Christ is stronger than anything that you've ever done? There's nothing you can do that God is not already there, that his blood has not already covered. All we got to do is come to him. And that's a sad thing that guilt will keep you not just out of the presence of God, it keeps people from coming to church. 
Oh, I can't come in there. I can't come in there. So that's that one group of people. What about the other people whose excuse of coming is because they don't feel other people will forgive them? They don't forgive, you know, church people are just way too judgy. How many of you know it's not a secret that the world views the church in that light? Right? That all that church. You know what? Church people, they're all that way. And let me just say, if we're honest, there are some people and there's actually some churches that have not helped to change that perception. Am I right? I mean, think about it. They haven't done us in any favor when they're out there throwing banners about God hates whatever, you know. Uh, that doesn't help. And let me just say, as I was preparing for this message, something came up this week uh, on Twitter or X, what it is now. That sounds so weird to say that, doesn't it? But this one pastor, uh, his name is John Piper. Some of you guys may know who he is, uh, but he comes up with this statement and he caused an uproar. I mean, there was uh, 242 reposts, quotes, likes. Anyway, he goes, can we reassess whether Sunday coffee sipping in the sanctuary fits? He has an issue with people drinking coffee in the sanctuary. And then he throws in, to make it scriptural, Hebrews 12, 28, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Now let me just say, you may have a feeling one way about it, but does this verse have anything to do with drinking coffee in the sanctuary? No, but sometimes we like to add things, and you know, all that did was stir up other people with these kind of judgy attitudes. Look at this next person's remark. I will, and here's the thing, she brings joy, that's her name. I would beg to differ, but uh, she goes, I will not tolerate the concept of drinking coffee during a church service. I'm shocked at all of you, just shocked. Can you just see that? I mean, how many of you guys remember Saturday Night Live and the church lady? So, okay, some of you guys are going back. I think this is her. So, <laughs> sorry, I'm being judgy, aren't I? Lord, help me. I like, the, I like this next guy here. He says, worship is about community coming together. So yes, coffee and of course tea absolutely fits. Hospitality is a gift from above. Amen? I like that. But my favorite one is this next guy, just because of his name, Freedom Dude. And we are in Freedom Church, so if you're a guy, you're a Freedom Dude. If you're a woman, you're a Freedom Dudette, right? So uh, he goes, I sip coffee in the sanctuary. It keeps my mind sharp and ready to receive the word. I see no problem with it as long as it is uh, not a distraction, right? So if you come in with a cup of coffee like this and you're drinking it, like, maybe get a smaller cup, okay? So, <laughs> sorry. It's just, you know, we're just so like that. We reinforce the idea when you put that out on Twitter, this thing like that, do you think people are thinking, oh yeah, church people, they're getting worked up about somebody drinking coffee in a church. How many of you guys got coffee in here right now? Come on, look at those cups. <laughs> Let me just do that. Shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. Now, let me, just, let me just say, some people have firsthand experience, like, like they've actually experienced people being judgmental to them. So that's, that's one category. I think there's a whole lot more other people that have just heard that the church is judgy, right? They, maybe they watch TV show or a movie. I know this may come as a shock, but most media does not present the church in a good light. Is that a shock to anybody? They make Christians like weird, judgmental, holier-than-thou people. So don't get your concept of what church is like by what media says. Uh, all that has done is that, that as the church, we have a real battle. We have a real spiritual battle trying to help people that are struggling with guilt. We battle over people's own failures that have made them feel that way that they were actually judgy. We have to battle the media. And, and I think that there's a spiritual battle that people just feel that guilt that they need to understand that God loves them. And as a church, we need to love them. So uh, those that have left the church over some failure, many of them will never come, come back. They've been judged and, and they're that way. And, and the reason that they don't want to come back is they worry about church people. How are they going to act? How, what are they going to say? Are they going to whisper behind my back when I don't see them? I'm just afraid that everybody's going to talk about me and judge me. That's a real feeling out there. Am I right? How many of you have felt that before? Right before you even started coming. 
So for some reason, the world expects the church to be judgmental. They don't expect love. They're not, they're not thinking that love is what's going to happen when they come in. And I think this is not a new problem. Would you agree? This started, this started even way back in Jesus' day. There was these uh, group of people called Pharisee. Doesn't that just look warm and inviting? I don't know who this guy is, but he made a good Pharisee with that face right there. Uh, but here's the thing. The Pharisees, they strictly adhered to the written law. And the written law in the Bible, they called it the Torah. It's basically the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Some of you guys know that we call it the Pentateuch. It's the first five books. But that's where you get all the laws about skin disease and all of this stuff. And they wanted to obey the law 100%. And, they, and in order to make sure that they didn't break the law, they wrote, uh, or they had these oral laws that they created to make sure you didn't break that law. Like it was laws on top of laws, and those oral laws were eventually written down into, uh, called the Talmud, and 12,800 pages of made-up laws to make sure you don't break the law. How many of you would like to read? These books, I counted them. There's 20 of them here. So if it's 12,800 pages, it's about uh, 2,600 pages books filled with laws to make sure you don't break the law. Is that a little crazy there? Now, listen, how many of you know everybody's got silly laws in the land? Do you really, is this a shocker? Do you know that California's got some weird laws? I don't know if you've done a search on that. I, I had to limit. It was like pages full of things, but I just want to give you some crazy laws that are out there. In Los Angeles, do you realize it's illegal to throw a Frisbee on a city beach without a lifeguard's permission first? Is that silly, right? It's, it's illegal to cry on a witness stand. If, I mean, what are they going to do? You're crying. Put the cuffs on them, right? Uh, in Los Angeles... It's illegal to hunt moths under a street lamp. I uh, know. Here's this one. I think I know some of you guys have been guilty of this. It's illegal to lick toads. All right. How many, how many, how many of my toad lickers do we got? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, and, and this one, I shared Heather's in the nursery, but she needs to know, be aware of this. It's illegal to put more than one baby in the bathtub at a time. Did anybody, did anybody know these laws? Right? Uh, here's another one. This is crazy. I don't know how you would enforce that. It's illegal for any animal to mate within 1,500 feet of a school. <laughs> right? I saw those squirrels, you know, arrest them. Throw them in the clink, right? Uh, here's one in Fresno. Let's get out of Los Angeles. In Fresno, it is illegal to annoy a lizard in a city park. <laughs> how do you do that, Right? In Blythe, California, you are not allowed to wear cowboy boots unless you own at least two cows, right? And where's Ren at, right? So uh, you, got, you, know, you don't have them on today. So uh, you got to have at least two. You only got one cow, you can't wear cowboy boots. You're not a real cowboy. Uh, in Dana Point, California, this one cracked me up. You may not use your own bathroom if the window is open. You ever think about... Who lived next door to the guy that made that law? He's like, I'm passing that law because that guy, he needs to shut his window, right? So uh, uh, in El Monte, California, pinball machines are illegal. Uh, on Hermosa Beach, it's against the law to pour salt on a highway or to plant a garden in the middle of the city street. Like, honey, where do we put our garden at? Well, you know what? Nobody's occupying the city street. Let's go there, right? Here's an odd one. In Carmel, women may not wear high heels, right? Or men can't go outside wearing a jacket and slacks that don't match, right? I'm okay. I'm not wearing a slack and, slacks and jacket there anyway. So uh, uh, San Francisco, this one cracked me up. Elephants are prohibited from walking down Market Street unless they're on a leash. <laughs> Just walking my elephant, right? Who has elephants? Uh, also in San Francisco, this is gross, it's illegal to wipe off your car with used underwear. <laughs> I'm like, what are the police going to do when you're wiping your car? It's like, oh, were those clean? 
Silly laws, right? Uh, I was talking with Timothy about it, and he shared one because he did the research in Chico, where we came from before here. Uh, it's like it is a $500 fine if you set off a nuclear device within the city limits of Chico. All right. Yeah, $500. That's all? Okay. You know what? If you can find my dust vapor after it goes off, you can go ahead and find me, right? Uh, crazy. So, and, and I just wanted to throw in one more so you don't think California's the only one crazy. In Washington, do you realize uh, in 1969, they posted a law that killing a Bigfoot is punishable by time in prison? <laughs> you agree, right? And... They later amended that law and put Bigfoot on the endangered species list. He's so endangered, nobody has found him, right? So uh, anyway, crazy laws, but the Pharisees' Talmud had just as many off-the-wall kind of crazy laws that people were expected to know and follow. Because if they didn't, they would be considered deemed not worthy, breakers of the law, possibly even tossed out of the synagogue if you didn't know those 12,800. Let me give you just a, uh, 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 three of them. I'm just going to give you three of them. It was against the law to reap, you know, to harvest on the Sabbath. That was in the actual law. And so in the Talmud, they added this. Now you can't even look into a mirror on the Sabbath because you might be tempted to pluck out a gray hair and that would be considered reaping. I'm harvesting my hair, right? Uh, here's the thing. Again, because you can't work on the Sabbath, they said it was fine for you to spit on a rock, but if you happen to spit on the ground, that would make mud and mud is mortar and making mortar is work. Right? I just made some mortar, right? That's tough work right there. Crazy, right? Here's another one. It was okay to eat radishes on the Sabbath, but you were warned against dipping them in salt because you might leave them in there too long and pickle them. And that would be breaking the Sabbath law of working. I mean, think about this. The Pharisees actually sat around and thought, how long does it take to pickle a radish? Well, no, let's time it. You know what? Let's time it. That's the, so anyway, crazy rules. They had all those rules. And then you realize Jesus came along and he upended their whole system, didn't he? He totally uh, challenged their authority. He taught grace instead of rules. And his teachings flew in their face. Jesus went around and loved people that the Pharisees had already deemed unworthy. Tax collectors, you know, sinners. He would walk around and actually have friends and had some of them actually following them. Jesus crossed ethnic and racial lines. He loved outsiders. Wait a minute, they're, an out, they're a Gentile. How could I love them? Jesus treated women, think about this, with dignity and respect and importance. People that say, oh, the Bible is just so patriarchy. Jesus broke that system. And he declared women were important. Think about this. This was in an ancient Middle Eastern country uh, culture that would be okay to kill a woman for adultery and not even mention the man. How many of you know something's upside down right there? Uh, Jesus spent time with sinners. He ate with them in their house. That was definitely a violation of the Pharisees' rules. So they were the power brokers of that day. So much so that the way they chose to live and act influenced the rest of the, uh, the people that lived there. It was like you either got in line with the Pharisees' way of thinking or you would be cast out. Like even if you disagreed with that, even if you disagreed with the situation with the woman caught in adultery, you dare not say anything because that's going to come back on you. That's going to come back on you. So uh, you lined up. The Pharisees did the exact same things that I believe the church is accused of today. Quick to judge, slow to forgive. All right, we pass that judgment. Quick to criticize, slow to encourage. They were the original holier-than-thou people. All right, oh, you're holier-than-thou. They actually thought it, and they thought they knew what you needed to do. They would tell you. They gave zero room for grace. And in Jesus' most famous message, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, here's the thing. That crowd was made up of a lot of hungry people, but there were a lot of Pharisees out there too. And a lot of people that followed their way of thinking that were there. And I love what Jesus did. Right in the middle of the message, he gives the most countercultural message to a rule-driven society. 
And it's the command that we're going to look at today. He's in Matthew 7, he says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. So what is judge? What, what am I talking about there? Here's a, here's a definition. When I make a pronouncement of someone else's spiritual condition based on my opinion like drinking coffee in a sanctuary. You're not really worshiping the Lord that way. You're not, you're not being right. When we get to decide by our standard whether somebody else measures up or not, how many of you know that's wrong? We're not talking about biblical standards. That's a different thing. But when we begin to determine what makes somebody holy and righteous and we pronounce that on them, how many of you know that's being judgy? All right? These two verses should scare us to a point enough to where I don't want to do that behavior, right? Do not judge, or you're going to be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. Look at what it says, in the same way, right? In the exact same way. I, I've got a measuring stick. He says, with the measure you use, it's going to be measured back to you. I mean, I don't know how it's all going to play out in the end, but if we have lived our life be, you know, with a big measuring and we're, we're criticizing and we're judging people un, un, uh, not in a good way, guess what? The Scripture's indicating that's how it's going to be used against us. I mean, when I think about that, it makes me want to be a little bit more compassionate to people. Right, a little bit more forgiving, a little bit more mercy, and a little bit more grace in the way that I view other people. Because if that's the way God's going to judge me, that's I better. I'm going to start making sure I live my life that way. Amen. It's I'm going to give that because that's what I want to receive. And so Jesus is in the crowd. He's preaching this, and can you imagine? All of a sudden, it had to get pretty quiet because everybody knew who Jesus was talking about. He knew he was talking about the Pharisees, and, and I don't know, because obviously we weren't there, but usually if you're in a crowd and somebody's talking about somebody, don't you kind of look over your shoulder and like, oh yeah, are they listening? I wonder if there were people in the crowd looking back at the Pharisees. You know, hey, he's talking about you. Hey, just in case you didn't know it, this message is about you, right? I don't know if that happened or not, probably not, but, but I can guarantee the Pharisees knew they, they was talking about him, and they were getting a little upset. And then Jesus goes a little bit further. He doesn't just leave it right there. He asks these two penetrating questions. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And then he says, How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time you got a plank in your eye? Right? You're just walking around. Oh, man, look at that person over there. I can't believe. Did you see what that person wore? I can't believe they had that on. And, and we're just making all of these judgments on people. And it's like, the reality is, I don't even see very well. All right? I can see you out of one eye. Some people, if I had two planks, they have them in both eyes. It's that bad, right? Here's the thing. It's good to help somebody get a painful speck out of their eye. Am I right? That is good. But if I can't see what I'm doing, then I'm not going to be of any help. And I shared this earlier, so I'm going to do it again. But, uh, you know, sometimes my wife, I help her clip her toenails because it's a little bit easier. And, uh, but one thing that I do is I, I don't turn the lights off and take my glasses off when I do it. Because she might be missing some toes after that. What I usually do is I make sure I got my glasses on so I can actually see the definition between toes. And uh, make sure that the lights are on so that, that I can help. And uh, you know what? She does the same thing for me. Like, how many of you know men, as we get older, we start growing more hair in our ear? And it's like, it's good to have, it's good to have a wife that will help trim that out so you don't walk around with a bird nest. I'm just giving a few grooming techniques right here. So uh, this is important. But I want her to see what she's grabbing because I don't want to be missing an ear. I'm just saying, it's okay to help people out, but we got to be able to see. we got to deal with our own stuff, am I right? What Jesus continues, and he says this to, to the Pharisees, you hypocrite. Anybody love being called a hypocrite? Yeah, I just love that. That's a good, no, that's not. Here's the, here's the definition. It's in your notes as well. It's a person who pretends to have virtues, morals, or religious beliefs or principles that he or she does not actually possess especially a person whose actions 
contradict their beliefs. Do you realize there are uh, hypocrites in other places than the church? As a matter of fact, there's a lot of people that say one thing. You know, the biggest hypocrites are usually on the highway calling everybody a horrible driver when you're driving horribly your own self. It's like, am I right? Come on, I'm just telling you. Hypocrites, they just don't practice what they preach. They say one thing. They know what you need to do, but they're not going to do it themselves. So calling somebody that hypocrite, that was a bold confrontational statement that Jesus made. Amen? So uh, he, he goes on to say, he, he says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What he's saying, like I said, you got to deal with your own stuff first. got to make sure that, that, that you're walking the walk and you're talking the talk. Because I believe this, the sin of a critic is worse than the sin of the person they're criticizing. Now think about that. Oh, they did this and they did that. And here you are criticizing. Who do you think Jesus is uh, uh, saying, no, you're the one that's wrong. You're the one that's wrong. And over the years, uh, I, I know I've observed many judgmental Christians and learned usually the people that are criticizing the most are the ones that are trying to deflect from their own sin and point you to somebody else. You know, like a magician, whenever they're doing a card trick and they're doing something over here trying to get you to look at that so they don't see you flipping cards or whatever it is that they're doing, a lot of times our criticalness is just try, <coughs> trying to get people's eyes off of us so, and looking on them, and it's like, oh yeah, that person, I can't believe what they're doing. I can't believe what they said. I can't believe the clothes that they're wearing. All of that stuff. That's the classic hypocrite that talks about the love of God, but they themselves are filled with anger. Right? Uh, a hypocrite talks about giving, but they don't give their own self. A hypocrite talks about sexual pu uh, purity, but then they hide their pornography addiction. I don't want to hear any ooze on that. So uh, uh, when we're judging, we may judge other people's appearance, but we ignore our own prejudice. It's so, uh, they talk about, oh, that person, they've been divorced, but they, they uh, ignore the fact that they, uh, that they don't care, you know, they don't give any attention to their family. Whatever it is, they judge people for sexual sin, ignore their gossip, all of that. But on the other hand, people that have gotten victory in that, with an open heart towards God, they're honest about their weaknesses. We've got to be honest about our weaknesses and live our life in a place of humility, grateful submission to God because of what He's done in our life. And what that does is it positions our heart to be gentle and tender to other people. When we're honest about our own struggles and our own issues in life, then you're going to be more apt to love other people. Am I right? He's saying, be honest with yourself. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't pretend you're perfect and you got it all together. All right, does anybody feel like they got it all together here? Okay, just, just for the record, in case anybody's watching online, nobody raised their hand. Freedom Church is a full, full of people that don't have it all together, including your pastor. I know that's a shocker, right? No, I'm just kidding. Don't pretend you got it all together. Don't pretend, because what happens, I believe we harden our heart and, and we, it keeps us from walking in humility. And Jesus is saying, before you point out other issues, you better make sure you're dealing with your own. Amen? So listen, we're not just guilty of people that are outside. How many of you know, sometimes we're guilty of judging people that are actually in the church. And for a community that is, should be, we are a faith based on grace uh, movement, are we not? That's what Christianity is. It's not about the rules, but yet we're so quick to impose rules on other people. We make up our own. We may not have the Talmud like the Jewish people do, but we have our own. Am I right? We have our own. And you may not think it, but I'm going to give you a few examples. Like there's been attitudes about how to raise your kids, and, and some people think, well, if you don't homeschool, you're not raising your kids right. You don't care about your kid's spiritual foundation. So that's, that's one group. Others have thought, well, if you don't put your kids in public school, you're walking away from your Christian responsibility of being salt and light. All right? And then another group say, well, if you don't put your kids in a private Christian school, you're just not a good Christian parent. All, right? All of these different rules we put in there. What about this one? Maybe we heard this. Maybe it's been a couple of years. But if you don't get vaccinated, then you really don't care about vulnerable people. 
You're not fulfilling the love of God. You're not loving your neighbor if you don't get vaccinated. Anybody ever remember hearing that one? Right? On the other hand, if you do get vaccinated, then you're submitting to an evil government and you're setting yourself up for the mark of the beast. Come on, we've heard both of them. I'm not, I'm not in a vacuum here, I know that. Uh, the next two, uh, we're going to hear a lot over the next 13 months. I'm going to say it pretty quickly because I don't want anyone throwing anything at me. But uh, there is no such thing as a Christian Democrat. Anyone who claims to be a Christian has to be a Republican because you can't love Jesus and be a Democrat. That's, that's some people's view. Uh, there's the other side of it. Because there are people that have other views. How can you be a Christian and vote Republican? Because if you're a Republican, you don't care about the poor, the weak, or the immigrants, so you must not love Jesus. All right? These are things that we put in there. And uh, don't throw anything at me. I'm just saying. I'm just, I'm just delivering it here. Uh, how about this one? If you read the wrong version of the Bible, meaning anything but King James Version, you're not a real Christian. All right? You're not reading the real Bible. I read the real Bible, right? Uh, some of you guys have heard that. I, or how about this one? If you don't speak in tongues, then you are a subpar Christian. You're just not there. Or if you don't dress right, oh, you're not wearing the right clothes, you're being disrespectful to God. Like God hasn't seen everything. Yeah. All right? I mean, I'm just saying that. Anyway, but like, just like the Pharisees, we make up our own little rules. Right? And like I said, sometimes we throw a little scripture with it. That way we can back it up. Oh, yeah, you know what? You know, worship God with respect. If you drink coffee, then you're not doing it. So, but Jesus' response to that was, uh, don't judge or you're going to get it. For in the same way, remember, the same way it's going to happen. And he says, you're a hypocrite. Take the plank out of your eye. That way you will see clearly. So Jesus, I believe, set the standard by how Christians are going to be judged. How believers are supposed to act towards one another. Listen, this is, this is important. If you're missing anything, catch this. This is how Jesus expects us to act. He says, a new command I give you. Do what? Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you do what? Right. How many of you know people are not going to know you're a Christian by how you dress? They're not going to know it by your haircut. They're not going to know it by how you vote. They're not going to know it by where your kids go to school. They're not going to know it by whether you're vaccinated or you're not vaccinated. They're going to know it by how we love and treat each other. That's, that's the standard right there. Unfortunately, <coughs> excuse me, we allow other things to get into the way. So how do I apply this? How do I respond to what Jesus said? And so I want to give you on how to be an anti-Pharisee. All right, we don't want to be a Pharisee. No, we want to be the opposite of that. So number one, I believe we have to give other Christians permission to be different than us. Does that make sense? It, it, how many of you know your way of worshiping is not the only way and it's not necessarily the right way? Right? The way you were, oh, no, you got to be on your knees. You know, you got to be standing. You got to be jumping. You got to sing this song. You got to do that. Uh, you can't do that. Not only that, your fashion choice is not the only way. And, and I go, I'm, I'm just going to stick it in there again because this might make people mad. Your political opinion is not the right opinion, always. All right? We have to, as believers, get comfortable with the biblical reality that God has followers all over the globe who think many different ways than us. Amen? A lot of, well, no, how many of you know God has not called us to uniformity? He's called us to unity. There's a difference in that. We're not all supposed to look the same, act the same, and, and even always think the same. Because it's not going to happen. But we, He has called us to unity. And I think the way our world is right now People won't have unity unless you're exactly like me. That can't be. My opinion in, in those areas can't be the only way that I look at things. Uh, and secondly, before you do go to anybody that ha you have an issue with, we got to pray. we got to take it to God. Uh, the reality is, I think you've only got two places to go. If you've got an issue, you go to God first, and then you go to them. Because if you start going to other people, what do we call that? How many of you know that's probably the worst sin than whatever it is that you're talking about, true? 
So be careful not to make yourself judge. The third one is that we have to practice the discipline of confession. And uh, I'm not talking about going to a priest and doing some kind of penance and Hail Marys and all of that stuff. I'm talking about the biblical practice of confession found out of James 5.16. It says, confess your sins who? To each other. It's not one person, tell me all your sins. Come on, tell me. No, it's to each other. And then what do we do? We pray for each other that we may be healed. There's a powerful practice in that when we can actually be open with another person with our struggles and with our failures. Listen, you don't want to do that to everybody. (coughs) You don't want to announce it on Facebook. Oh, here's all my sins that I struggle with. You don't want to do that. But you want to have some people in your life that you can be real with. Confession is really good for someone who is struggling with judgmentalism. Because once you, once you start admitting it, how many of you know it kind of softens your heart and you begin to understand? So those are those points. I do want to give a balancing point to this because you may get the wrong idea. We're not supposed to judge each other, but you and I will be judged. You realize that, right? There's a day you and I are going to stand before God Nobody else is standing there with us. You can't point the finger at somebody else and say, well, it's because of them or it's because of them. One day, we're going to stand before God. That's just a reality. This message is not some kind of cheap grace, do whatever you want, anything goes kind of message. And I know some of you guys may have thinking, oh, yeah, that's what pastor, he doesn't want to stand for anything. And if that's what you're thinking, you haven't been listening. That's not what I've been talking about. This is not a, you can do whatever you want, we're all good. We're all good, no judging, none of that stuff. But we do have to understand that someday we're going to have to give an account to God. Every word that's come out of our mouth, every action that we have done, every attitude that we have, because He is the judge. We are going to be judged someday, but that's just not our job. And I know sometimes as people... We see somebody doing something wrong, and we feel like, oh, man, they, they need to answer for that. I need to correct that. I need to tell them what's what, you know. And, and it's if it's in your own opinion, no, you don't. That's God's job. What are we called to do? We're called to love people. We're called to love people. So uh, <clears throat> here's the approach that we want to take as a church. First of all, if the area that you're having a problem in somebody's life is just a personal choice, then we need to leave room for the things that God doesn't necessarily say in Scripture. Whether drinking coffee in church, whatever, you know, whether you wear a suit, whether you don't wear a suit, whether you wear sandals or whatever it is, those are personal choices. And we have to allow room for God to move in that. How many of you know, also, if it comes to a music style, I'm so sick of hearing, I mean, I'm on some post uh, groups that, man, they mention, uh, you know, people that are all hymns. You know what? If you don't sing a hymn, you're not singing God's song. I didn't realize that uh, God wrote songs in the 1800s that dated all the way back to his time. And then there's people like, oh, you know what? Uh, If you're not singing modern, you're singing that old-fashioned stuff. God doesn't even hear that. Listen, forget the music style. I don't think God has either style up in heaven. It's going to be something even better. Amen? So forget music style, Doesn't, a version of the Bible, I know I mentioned that, but let me just say, I have ran into people that insist that the King James is the only Bible, it's the only one, if you're, but do you realize that none of us here, if you have a King James, it's not the 1611 King James Bible. You got, it's gone through, in that amount of time, what, 400 years? It's gone through four different revisions, over 22,000 differences. If you actually had a 1611 King James Bible, you wouldn't understand what it's saying. Because it's 400 years old. Language, this may be as a shocker, but has changed over that 400 times. How many of you realize, I'm just going to say it, the, the, the word gay has a different meaning today than it did 100 years ago. All right, words change, they have different meanings, and so you've got to change. So don't get worked up on that. We have no scriptural evidence that, that, that God is expecting us to wear suit and ties. And uh, let me tell you, when I stopped wearing suit and tie in the church, I mean, I got some flack. I'm just telling you. And it's like, well, that's what God wears, you know, so you got to have, no, I'm just kidding. Here's the principle that we need to learn. When it's a personal preference, let's choose understanding. 
Let's be flexible. Let's be forgiven. And let's have grace. Does that make sense? Let's not have to impose our thing. Now listen, that's personal preference stuff. When it comes to actual sin, somebody is actually involved in some kind of ongoing pattern of sin, and you know it. Listen, it's not my job to help somebody avoid conviction. I'm not going to avoid a topic just because it might make somebody uncomfortable. How many of you know when you're in a sin and hear somebody talking about it, it's uncomfortable? Right? You may not want to hear it, but what God has called me to do is to preach truth. God's going to be the one that's judging, but we've got to be able to share truth. Biblical truth, not opinion truth. There's a difference there. We are not the sin police that's trying to prove. Like the, you know, the Pharisees, somebody asked me after the first service, well, how did the Pharisees know when somebody broke one of those laws? I'm like, because they said there's no way they can know everything. No, but if they happened to see you spitting on the mud on the Sabbath, they would catch you. We are not the sin police that's ready to call everybody down. Uh, but I, at the same time, I'm not going to avoid an issue, like I said, just because it might make someone uncomfortable. So we're still going to address sexual sin. How many of you know there are topics about sexual sin that are still a sin? And so I'm not going to avoid that because it might make someone uncomfortable. I'm still going to talk about God's standard when it comes to our finances. Right? I'm not going to be soft. God said 10%. Well, you know what? That was Old Testament. Listen, I'm just telling you, we're going to say it. We're still going to talk about habits and addictions that are displeasing to God because our goal as a church, as followers of Christ, again, is to be biblical Christians. And when I say that, <laughs> I'm just saying, because we had to talk about that in our small group, which was really good. Uh, but when I say that, we allow the Bible to be our guidebook, not our opinion, not what culture says. Well, you know what? The church is so outdated. They need to get up with this century. Wait a minute. We still go by this. Doesn't mean we all do it perfectly because none of us do, but we want to make sure. So that's what we are going to talk about. We're going to learn how we talk to other people. We're going to talk about how we interact with other people according to God's word, not our understanding. Amen? So I know, again, that make people, makes people feel uncomfortable, but there is a difference between speaking truth in love and being judgmental. So don't just say, well, I'm just speaking truth. It better be in love, because if you don't love the person you're speaking truth to, just shut your mouth. I know, it's like, ooh, oh, they're sinning, so i got to address that. Sometimes you just want to address it just because you want to act more superior. Maybe they are in, but if you don't really love that person, it's better to keep your mouth closed. Amen? So, share the truth. Identifying sin, yes, we do that. We're not going to lower our standard uh, We're not to, to avoid even being... Maybe you might be accused of judging. I've been accused of judging just by sharing truth, uh, but sometimes churches have done that because I, ooh, I don't want to offend this person. They're in this sin. I don't want to offend this person. They're trying to keep all the chairs full. How many of you know that's what we call watering down the gospel? Right? I just get, you know, I'm going to keep it very vague. I don't want to offend everybody. Let me just tell you the facts prove themselves. Every church and every denomination that has watered down truth is on a sharp decline. Right? Those that are sticking to truth are growing because people want to hear truth, even if it hurts. Even if it hurts, right? And now, let me just say this because if your goal is to have me preach about your favorite sin towards other people every week, you're going to be disappointed. It's not my job to be the Holy Spirit. You realize that? None of us are the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the uh, one that convicts of sin, am I right? It's not my job to come up and like, oh yeah, you know what? You shouldn't be doing that. You're doing that. You're going to burn forever. If, if I'm trying to convict somebody, then most likely it's going to come out as condemnation. My job is to love people, allow the Holy Spirit, speak truth, speak truth in love, but allow the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. Amen? Because if, uh, if you will love people, this is what we want to do. We want to be a church that loves people in spite of their current sin. Amen? We want to be a church that loves people and prays people despite where they're at, that welcomes people, that asks God uh, to deliver them, and allow the Holy Spirit time to bring that conviction into their heart. Amen? Because so, uh, here's the reality. This was the number four about being an anti-Pharisee, or the principle. Oh, I, did I skip ahead? Remember that God is still working on others and me. He's still working on all of us. 
Again, none of us have arrived. None of us have made it. Everybody's still in that process. Their sin may not be your sin, you know, so you can't say, well, I don't struggle with that, uh, but what do you struggle with? Right? We can't compare, well, their struggle is worse than my struggle. Mine are just minor. I just have minor struggles. No, it's not. We're all a work in progress. Philippians says this, every time I think of you, I love what Paul says, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make requests for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard until now. And I love this part. And I'm certain that God, who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished. When? On the day when Christ returned, which we talked about maybe very soon. We need to give people space to grow. We need to give them space to learn. And uh, like I said, you may be further along than somebody else. That's okay, but we're still not perfect, right? We're still not perfect. One day in heaven, God's work is going to be complete in all of us. Until then, we're all uh, still a work in progress. And, And let me just say, just like Highway 50 in Sacramento will be a work in progress until Jesus comes. How many of you drive on that? And it's like, we, we moved here five years ago, and it's like they're still on that thing, right? So uh, when you see that, when you pass that, like, oh, yeah, that's me. You know what? God's still working on me. Just the moment I get one part fixed, all of a sudden something else is broken. <laughs> Isn't that the reality? And uh, so be okay with that. Be okay that people are growing, and you don't have to call them down every time they do something stupid. Uh, we can love people in spite of that. Amen? Until then, that's what we're doing. So opinion sins, current sins. What about people that have past sins and they come back to church? And you know what they did. They know you know what they did. That's why a lot of people don't want to. We want to take on the attitude of forgiveness and not judge them. Amen? We want to love them, not lecture them. Well, I'm glad you came back because when you left, you did this, that, and the other thing. No, that's not what God's called us to do. Forgive them. Amen? My prayer for Freedom Church is that anybody, can I say anybody, that walks through the door would experience the love of Christ and the love of the body of Christ. Amen? That's the only way people are going to get in. If they come in and get judgment, that's going to turn them away, not just from this church, but how many you know, probably from any other church. So we've got to realize how important this statement is that Jesus made, do not judge, you, you know, Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. So the opposite of judgment is forgiveness and grace. That's how we're to treat other people. Like I said earlier, if I'm going to be forgiven the same way I forgive, man, I want to be really forgiving. I talked about that last week. If you missed last week and you struggle with forgiveness, you need to go back and listen to last week. That's got to be something that's a reality in my life because it it sounds like Jesus is saying, I get to set the standard for how I'm going to be judged. I don't know about you. That's a little bit scary. So I want to make sure that I am, like I said earlier, I'm loving, I'm merciful. And uh, and, uh, let me just uh, end it with this as he's coming up. You know, the Pharisees were the bad guys in the story. But if you read the scripture, even after Jesus rose from the dead, there were many Pharisees that believed in Jesus. The ones that were, yeah, Paul was a Pharisee, exactly. So uh, many of the ones that had their, you know, they were embracing judgmental rules, all of that stuff. Once, think about this, once they experienced the freedom of the grace of God, who would go back? Who would go back to that? It's like, because even if you were a Pharisee, you still knew you failed. You just didn't admit it to anybody else. And so if that's been a struggle in your life, then just say, you know what, God, help me to turn from being so judgmental. Help me to love people the way you do. Help me to walk in the grace and the mercy that you do. And when we do that, let me tell you, uh, you're not going to be able to keep people away. When people sense God's presence, they will want to come and keep coming because we all know that we have all blown it from one time or another. And, and, and still, don't, raise your hand if you blew it this, no, I'm just kidding, don't do that. We know we're all in that struggle, amen? So listen, I'm, I'm going to have our prayer team, if you guys can come up.
Uh, we just want to take a little bit of time, but I, I do want to share this because I don't know where everybody is spiritually. You know, if you're here today and you're like, you know what, I, I'm, not, I'm not for sure that if this were the day that God called me home, if I would make it into heaven. You know, the cool thing about the Lord is all it takes is a turning of the heart and say, God, I want to confess. I want to confess you as my Lord. The scripture says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that we are saved. It's really that simple. You don't got to take a class. You don't got to join the church. You don't got to jump this hoop. You don't got to do all of that. It's like, Lord, I believe you are who you are, and I'm confessing Jesus is my Lord. Can I have everybody stand? If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me because I don't know. I don't have 100% assurance that if this were my last day, if I'd be in heaven. Can I just have you just raise your hand where you are and just say, Pastor, pray for me. Just pray for me. Amen. Amen. There's several hands. Thank you, Lord. I want to lead you in a prayer. And listen, if this is from your heart, God hears it. And there's something supernatural that takes place that, that we can't put our finger on. But I know that God hears us and, and he writes us our name down in his book. That the day that we stand before him on judgment, we're going to be declared innocent we're going to be declared pure and holy because we will put on the righteousness of Christ. So if you raised your hand, even not, can we say this prayer together? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus that not only pays the sin, but cleanses me from a guilty conscience. Lord, I don't have to walk in that anymore. I confess you, Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, if you said that uh, and you meant it, let us know. Uh, we're going to have, we got some people praying over here. Listen, if you need prayer for anything, if you need healing in your body, if you need a financial miracle, maybe you just need somebody to agree you're going through some struggle, uh, we're here to do that. That's what God's called us as a church, to pray and to encourage one another. So while uh, Timothy's playing, if you want to come up, we will spend some time praying.